Welcome back, Blockheads, to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Mitch. And I'm your other host, Dungeon Master Neil, a.k.a. Joke Maniac. And today we are really excited. This is part of one of our, I think, fan favorite series, the Creation and Inspiration is back. We are joined by Jim McClure for a special two-part episode. And in this first part, he's coming to talk to us about plot in role-playing games. And that's really, really important when it comes to the Dungeon Master. So that's what we're going to be talking about on today's episode. And of course, Neil, what does that mean that part two of this will be? That will be the top tens. I yes. know by far and away, those are the things that people latch on to. I mean, we have <laughs> commissioned art for the Food Mage now. Yes, I mean, it's pretty what sweet. What is not to love? And Neil, this is going to be your top ten in the second episode. So we're looking forward to that. But right now, plot. That's what we're going to be talking about. But first, before we do that... We have some five-star reviews, as we do always. So the first one comes from Fobulator, and Fobulator writes, A legendary loot, if I have ever heard one. Five stars. I would like to say this is one of my favorite D&D podcasts ever. I got introduced through Sneak Attack, and oh boy, best recommendation ever. You guys keep making great podcasts because you guys inspire me to be the best DM I can be. Thanks for all your hard work, guys. Thanks, Fobulator. Really appreciate that. Yeah, and we love the guys at Sneak Attack. Yes, we do. Now we love them maybe even a little more. (laughs) Although they got my name wrong when they uh, they talked about us on Sneak Attack. (laughs) I am not Sean. Not at all. (laughs) So the next five-star review is from Your One Nightmare. And they titled it More Genius Than Mind Flayers. I've been listening to the Dungeon Master's block easily for the past month and trying to catch up on all the content they have. No small task. (laughs) I even have some episodes tagged for me to go back and listen to. Awesome. I started DMing just as the DMG came out for 5e. And this podcast has been one of the best resources for helping make my custom world alive and even more terrifying for my players. I highly recommend this for brand new DMs and even experienced DMs. They always have something to put in my bag of tricks for later use. Yeah. Thank you, Your One Nightmare. Yeah, we appreciate it. And I love that that's your name. Yeah, we hope that we're filling your nightmares with great nightmare fuel from like the survival episode and all that stuff. (laughs) But with that, thank you guys for those reviews. Let's head to the meet with Jim McClure. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meat? Carve it up! Fist a mouthful! No! Looks like meat back on the menu, boys! So for the meet today, we are joined by Jim McClure, the co-host of the Talking Tabletop podcast. Jim, welcome to the Dungeon Master's Block. Oh, thank you for thank you for having me. And and you called me the co-host, which is yes. I guess you called me the co-host of my own show, which is technically true. So thank <laughs> yeah, you. Explain it's, that to anybody who doesn't know. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I guess I gotta give you the rundown. Talking Tabletop is an interview show that I uh, affectionately co-host with notable personalities within the world of tabletop. When I have people on my show, I don't call them guests, I call them co-hosts. So I'm always the co-host <laughs> of my own show, hence the joke. Ha ha ha. Yes. Yes. Awesome. And we're glad we could work that little joke in today. Uh, But yeah, thank you for being here. We're excited to have you here for this creation inspiration episode, a fan favorite. And we're looking forward to talking to you about plot. Before we do that, though, we want to interview you a little bit. So, Neil, start us off with some questions. Let's talk to Jim. I told you in the rider, though, that I don't do interviews, right? (laughs) Yeah, you have no idea how interviews go. I know you're like sweating bullets right now. What's an interview? (laughs) (laughs) It's like I don't. I refuse to do this word that I don't understand. <laughs> don't understand <laughs> it. No, what? It's, it's foreign and scary to me. 
<laughs> so to kick it off, I want you to tell us n- about your first dungeon mastering experience as a dungeon. Ma- I'm totally kidding. <laughs> Have you ever done that? Maybe that is what we should do right now. <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get to that. So yeah, for the first one, just go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. I mean, you've already told us about your podcast, but just kind of how you got into the industry a, mi- a little bit or just whatever you feel. Okay, sure. Yeah, like I said, I'm uh, I'm I'm Jim McClure. I'm a, I'm a pale Irishman from the state of Ohio. I do a little little tiny podcast called uh, Talking Tabletop, as well as I guess I do a couple other things. But we'll well, I guess we'll get into that. I I think I peeked at a list of questions at some point. I should remember <laughs> like how how a show goes. But no, I got into into tabletop actually when I moved to Ohio. I'm originally from Maryland, and I was out here in the middle of the country, and there's not a decent place to get seafood. So I was like, I need to do something else with my time, and I came across tabletop, and I'd kind of always been, I'm going to say, tabletop adjacent. I did a lot of competitive uh, uh, CCGs. I played Pokemon to death. I was very competitive in nice. Yu-Gi-Oh! And I own that. Oh yeah, I was a great <laughs> Yu-Gi-Oh! player. Pretty much if there was a card game out there, I played it. And I played board games in the whole nine yards. But I never really got into tabletop until my my significant other, she dragged me kicking and screaming to my first ever Dungeons & Dragons <laughs> game. And it was love at first die roll. And uh, I've been having nice. so much fun with it ever since. And then uh, at some point I got the crazy idea to do a podcast and talk into a mic and yeah see if, if all these people on the internet are not just figments of my imagination but they, they <laughs> seem to be active listeners or maybe my imagination just better than I thought so that's kind of that's kind of Jim McClure. Awesome. You talked a little bit about Talking Tabletop already but can you tell us like what is Talking Tabletop exactly? What is the purpose of it? What is the thought behind what is accomplished over at your podcast Talking Tabletop? Uh, yeah, certainly. Like I said, at, at its very, very basic level, it's an interview show. But it's an interview show that's a little bit different. Someone a lot smarter than me figured out what the show actually is after <laughs> it aired and told me it is the inside the actor's studio mm-hmm. of the tabletop world. What happens is I have a notable personality come on the show, sit down with me for an hour, and we have a deep, candid discussion. So what we do is we don't so much talk about, you know, oh, what games do you have coming out soon? But we talk about what, what made you the person that you you are, what made you, your history in tabletop, how you came to be, you know, really who you are and really dig into some of the deep personal stories. So, you know, I've had people on the show like John Wick and Monty Cook and Shanna Germain's actually coming up next week. And and of course, topping all of those people, I've even had the wonderful Neil Powell on the show. Ooh, watch out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's kind of what, what it is. And, and the genesis of it was I was really interested in who the people were that were making these games that we love. And I really wanted wanted to delve into that, but there's not a lot of places that you can find sort of this deep information. So I went, oh, well, if it's not out there, I guess I should make it. So that was the, (laughs) that was the genesis of the show. Awesome. (laughs) I'm blown away at how accurate the insider of the actor studio analogy is. It like, it took, it made me take a step back. So for the next question, is there anything specific that you are currently working on? I know a lot of answers to that question, so I'm interested to see which one you're going to (laughs) choose. I guess the big one that I'm contractually obligated to myself to say is I've launched a publishing company called Third Act Publishing that is ramping up uh, a whole bunch of stuff, really. I kind of jumped in both feet with this whole publishing business. And what we're going to do is we've actually got three Kickstarters lined up over the next, I'm going to say 12 to 14 months, with the first one coming out in June for Capital City, a board game. And all right, I got to do cheap plugs. Everyone get warned. can skip ahead about two minutes and we'll pick back up. But Capital City is a uh, a board game where you essentially play merchants that are at the town that all of the heroes first visit before they go off on their journeys. And you are selling them supplies in the way merchants do to go off on their journeys. And the dirty secret about the game is it's actually teaching you how commodities trading works. But don't worry about that. Just think of it as this fantasy, you know, sort of tongue-in-cheek wonderful game. So that's going to be kickstarting in a couple months. And then we're going to have RPG Solitaire, which is a card game that is designed to emulate the role-playing experience but it's designed specifically as a one-person game. And then once we have those two done and in the books, we're going to do Reach of Titan, which is going to be my first actual full RPG book, and that's going to be an RPG about actually fighting larger-than-life creatures. It's designed to give that Shadow of Colossus-style fighting giants feel. So those are the big things that are coming out, as well as, I don't know, about every month or so, I release a a short little tiny free RPG on Third Act Publishing. So you can go over there and check out uh, Terrible RPG or Mystical Scholastic transportation is the new one that's coming out so uh yeah a lot of good stuff over at third act so that's my real focus other than the the podcasting stuff that's fantastic 
Are you running any of those at a catacon this year? Uh, yes, I ran them last year, actually. Some of them. I ran the, the very, very first ever playtest of Reach of Titan was done at a catacon. I also ran the Terrible RPG, and I have a WWE-style wrestling. Uh, oh, wait, no. I remember... <laughs> I remember your table yelling pretty loud with that one. <laughs> we uh, we got a little rowdy for an eight o'clock a.m. game. That's for sure. It sh- it should be rowdy that game. <laughs> uh, but that one's th- that game. The only way to get us to uh, to come to a convention and play with me. So I-, I will definitely be running some of these. And I don't think it's out in the world yet. But actually, Third Act Publishing is sponsoring a catacon specifically for. We are going to have a creators' corner of game in developments running, and Third Act Publishing is going to be real big on sort of sponsoring and put that on for a catacon. So we will we will have a whole. Bunch Bunch of that fun at a catacon yes awesome we will because we all plan on being there yes what? <laughs> yes it's gonna be great <laughs> and, and hopefully mitch i will get to game with you for more than 45 minutes this time well, we didn't even get the game. You gamed with oh, Chris that's last right. I'm time. Sorry, you I were at the other Chris. table. I'm like, we didn't. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> we have many, many people that we meet out in the. Yeah, I. It's fine. Yeah, Chris is a good looking guy. I'm okay with you mixing <laughs> me up with him. Oh, <laughs> uh, Catacon was was a whirlwind. <laughs> it was. I can't believe that I didn't think about this until we brought it up on this podcast, but I am going to ask you this next question in a way that you are most familiar with. Now, you've already talked about how you started in RPGs, but I would like you to describe your first experience running an RPG game as a GM setting up a campaign, please. Okay, so you want my first experience running a game? I do. Yeah. Have you ever done this before? No, I've never ran any games ever. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever been on this side of this question? Uh, No, I haven't. And you you changed it because I had prepared answers for for the normal way that I asked the question. But you, you, you (laughs) what's the normal way? I'll I'll restate it. I want to do it the normal way. (laughs) Well, no, the normal way would be asking what his first experience was. What's your first? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's been shared already. We can't do that that way. It's got to be the GM one. Ooh, it hasn't been shared, actually, I don't think. There you go. Let's do it. Now, see, that's that's good. Now you're more on the spot, like all, <laughs> most of your guests. So that's your question. <laughs> okay, so just to clarify, is my question the first time ever GMing or first ever experience? First time ever GMing. Okay, first time ever GMing as a GM setting the scene. Yes, this is great. <laughs> okay, so it's dark. The cars pull up in front of the townhome. Everyone's gotten out and gathered into this room, a a hodgepodge group of people. There's one tall redhead. There's one short redhead. There's another guy with tattoos all up and down his arms. And there's another guy who looks like he should be a middle manager at a Fortune 500 company (laughs) that have all gathered around this table with varying experience levels of what's about to happen. They sit down at the table. There's dice. There's character sheets. There's miniatures. There's printed out maps just laying all over the place. It's silent for a little bit, just some rustling papers on the GM side behind the screen. The <laughs> dice roll and, and hit the table a couple times. He looks over his his stack of fourth edition D&D books just up and down. He has notes and notes and notes, a stack 120 pages thick of printed maps for this game. And he is ready to jump in to this thing that he has wanted to run for so, so long and that he finally got a group together to do it. And he proceeds to run one of the worst run RPGs <laughs> that have ever happened and made every single mistake that every new GM makes. Oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. That's I forgot. Yeah, you're you're the guy, the lover of fourth edition. And that's where you started out GMing, huh? The, I, I'm, one, edition. The 12th, I'm one of the 12. Yep, one of the 12 <laughs> yeah. yep, in, the, in the world that love, awesome. loves fourth edition. And that is the first RPG I ever ever played and the first RPG I ever ran. Yes. Fantastic. You were more prepared. You were very good at that. I'm I got to have a game sometime in the future where you GM. Maybe <laughs> it'll happen. We'll see. I don't know. Well, you're about to learn all of my GM tricks today, so. <laughs> yes. Perfect. All right. So, to top it off, we have a surprise question. Although I feel like the last one was kind of a surprise question. <laughs> two surprise so, questions. So, yeah. So two of them. This one comes from one of our Patreon dragons. From Frotastic, who is an amazing gold dragon. Thank you. And his question to you is, if you were to become a sentient magical artifact, what inclinations would you have and what type of item would you be? Hmm. Okay. I feel I have to go with my own self-created stereotype and I have to be a katana. (laughs) 
mm. just because of my love for the greatest game ever made by mankind known as Legend of the Five Rings. Yep. Oh, fair warning, I'm not an opinionated person at all. Um, <laughs> but let's see, what inclinations would I have? You know what? I think I would be a blade that could only cut a foe if you have a strong emotional connection to them. Whether it be anger, whether it be hatred, whether it be love, you would have to have a strong emotional connection with the person for me to be able to cut them. Hmm. Interesting. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> the most useless blade ever. That's me. <laughs> I was thinking you were going to say something along the lines of you were going to be a blade that could only be used by somebody who you know their life story. I just imagine a blade with like a microphone at the end. <laughs> like you need that's, to speak into it. <laughs> see, now that's so much better. Now just copy and paste that into my voice and post and that. All be right. Great. Sounds good. We'll do that. <laughs> oh, awesome. Hey, Jim. We're here to talk about plot today. We are. And we're excited. I reached out to you. I said, hey, would you like to come join us in the show? What would you like to talk about? And this episode is entitled The Beautiful statement that you said i would like to talk about plot is not a dirty word so that's what we're here to talk about today jim starting us off plot is not a dirty word today with role-playing games i think a lot of people know that when plot is brought up it kind of is seen as a dirty word like people kind of shy away from this idea of plot why do you think that that is why do you think plot is seen as a dirty word today among role players uh, yeah, it is really an interesting topic, and, and I just want to want to make one other quick point before we jump into the main topic, yeah. and that is, when you reached out to me, of course, what actually happened is I sent back my rider, my requirements for you, and, and to pay the appearance fee, and I got the bag of M&Ms, <laughs> so I really appreciate that. Yep, you're welcome, no problem. <laughs> great great M&Ms, I mean... All green M&Ms, yeah. <laughs> hey, I have my requirements, man. Uh, but no, the uh, plot, it, it's a really interesting phenomenon. And that is we see more and more for, for those that hang out on, you know, GM advice forums, listen to GM advice podcasts, like perhaps the one we're, we're, we're on right now. You will notice that there's been, in my experience anyway, quite a bit of a backlash against the concept of planning out a plot planning out a story for your game. And I think that backlash comes a lot from the past history of RPGs have really been around, you know, okay, it is the, you know, we're going to sit down and we're going to survive the trials of the GM. I mean, you, you all have that, mm -hmm. that wonderful stinger at the beginning of you all show. I mean, that's, you know, a long ingrained history that still goes through to this day. And some of what carries along with that is we are going to show up and just have to experience whatever the GM wants us to experience. Experience. And for a long period of time, that's how a lot of games in the industry have played. Now, in the last 10 years, we've all of a sudden had this big RPG renaissance, the, the indie renaissance of RPGs. And one of the big concepts that's coming from this are concepts from the improv world and concepts from the LARPing world that is really getting ingrained and, and becoming a large part of RPGs. And we're having somewhat of a culture clash between these two. And again, this is all my personal uh, t take on what's going on, but this has resulted in a shift in the way people are interested in playing and that sometimes these clashes in culture can really step on each other's toes. You know, from a, a personal anecdote, you know, a lot of people have probably had that experience where they were at a table and they wanted to be engaged with it, but they had a GM that was just over and over and over again just going, no, you have to do this, you have to solve it this way, you have to do this, and they felt very railroaded, as the term is. And I, I again, I'll, I'll give a little bit of anecdote. I told you that I my first game that I ever ran was the worst run game ever and that's because <laughs> I did exactly that to my players. I knew my story from level 1 to level 30 before the first play session and they were going to play it. I knew it. They were going <laughs> to play it. And that's that's what everyone, I should say everyone, a lot of people have that experience which is a bad experience and it leads to, oh well planning out stories is a bad thing especially when we have so much good fun when we just wing it and do improv and there's nothing wrong with that concept but the point I wanted to get across of plot is not a dirty word is just because people have had bad experience with it does not mean it should be something that is thrown out wholesale. This is a very important concept to gaming, and it's a very important concept to really reaching some of the pinnacles of gaming experiences that you can get. Storytelling, it's the basis of every bit of media that we consume. We should not be ignoring it within the world of tabletop. What we should be doing is marrying these concepts of improv and these concepts of traditional story structure. 
Yeah, I think you're right. I think that there is this, we've seen this change in the way that people think about RPGs. And I think a lot of good has come from that. I mean, we've seen stories, uh, we've seen RPGs that come out now that it's all about co-building a world together. It emphasizes telling a story together. There's RPG games out there that they don't have a GM because it's all about like working together. And I think that's fantastic. But yeah, I think that the flip side of that coin is now there's people who see a GM a DM who wants to like tell a story and has a plot and they go, Oh, they step back from that because I think as role players, as players, we want our characters to have choices. We want them to impact the story. We want to be a part of the story that we're in. We don't want to feel like we're just being led along and it doesn't matter what our character, who our character is and what they think about the situations they're in or what situations are presented to them. It doesn't matter because A is going to lead to B is going to lead to C is going to lead to D and there's no, it's just completely walking like it's the railroading thing. It's walking along those tracks. You do not have a choice. Yes, and and I think that's exactly. I mean, nail on the head as far as you know what a lot of people say. I mean, like like you say, if you take someone that is coming from an improv or a LARP background and they are playing RPGs that are you know let's say they're playing GMless RPGs just to to mm-hmm. make a wild example, and they suddenly sit down with Jim McClure running his first D and D fourth edition game, you have a wildly different experience that you're walking into. It's entirely Entirely different, but one of the big things, of course, always to latch onto is with one of the things I'm coming from. There is so much good that can be done when you can take traditional story structure and planning out story yeah. and planning out plot and using that together with these wonderful improv concepts. And that is where I think, you know, in my experience, I've seen the real magic come alive at the table when you can latch onto these improv concepts that your players are getting. But you, as the DM, know enough of story structure how to direct those into bigger and building up and building up to having finales and having payoffs and having these amazing magic moments that happen at the table. And I I agree with you full heartedly. I think that we should talk about what is the difference between making a plot for an RPG game for your story and railroading players. Like what's the difference between plot and railroading? Okay, and this is where where we start hitting some of the, the wonderful fun. I'm going to throw out a, a new term, hopefully, for everyone, uh, because I, I love this term. But there is railroading, and then there is linear plot. And mm. one of these is bad, and one of these is good. Now, <laughs> nothing is universally bad, and nothing is universally good. But generally speaking, most people do not like being railroaded. Generally speaking, most people will enjoy a well-run linear plot. So where the difference comes in is primarily player agency. The players having the ability to decide the outcomes of events and decide their actions within the events. And that is a necessity. Railroading is when you are taken and going, okay, the GM puts you in a room and there is one way out of the room. And that is the secret switch that is under the second tile in the floor. And that is the only way out of the room. Oh, I have a strength of 18. I roll my d20. Nat 20. Nope, not strong enough. Couldn't break down the door. That's railroading. The only way to progress forward is to find the GM's exact thing. And once you find that switch, you're going to get into another room and it's going to have another switch that you must find. Wizard spells the teleportation. No anti-magic fields. Nothing happening. Warrior strength. (laughs) Absolutely not. Lock picking check. It's an unpickable lock. That's railroading. Linear plot is going, okay, I'm going to have a sequence of rooms that I want to tell a progressive story. So in this first room, what I want to establish is there are hidden switches because this is a trap-filled room. So what happens is when he tries to bust down the door, he busts down the door, and now I go, oh, well, you stepped on a hidden switch that triggered the trap. I now have played into their improv style of I'm going to get out of this room, so I'm going to bust down the door. As a linear plot, I need to establish things to build up to bigger things, so I allow that to happen and I work what I was going to do into the actions they are taking forth. We are still going the same direction. We're going to arrive where, give or take, uh, you know, some some stories go way off the rails. I have wonderful, wonderful stories about that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, they uh, you, you're going to progress 
class and you're going to work with the improv things that they are doing to continue telling a cohesive story and provide that experience to players. So the term I said earlier that I was going to throw out to people, uh, my, my friend Hamish, who's from New Zealand and, and made a wonderful game called The Sprawl, he told me this term and that is, he said in New Zealand there's railroading and then there is the tunnel of fun, which is you are being forced through this <laughs> tunnel for your own enjoyment and for your own betterment because I know what's good for you. Uh, so they call it yeah. the tunnel of fun. Now I would maybe hold tunnel of fun as maybe somewhere in between linear plot and railroading, but uh, but still, <laughs> I like the term. And, and that's the big difference that I see is in a linear plot, we are going to progress to the end of a story. In a railroad, you are going to progress exactly as I, the GM, want you to progress. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up that term, linear plot. In a previous episode with uh, DM Reed from the Sneak Attack podcast, we talked about the different types of storytelling you could do as a DM. And we had two linear ways. There was linear and strict, which we described as pretty much railroading. It was just like, I will not change my plans as the DM. You will do just what I say. Like I have this linear plot written down and that's what you do. Uh, But then we had linear and loose, which is, yeah, I have a point that I want you to get to, but how you get there is kind of, I'm flexible. Let's be, let's see what your characters do. And I think a big important part of that is as a GM, as a DM, we need to understand that without the characters, the main characters in a story, the story sucks. And your main characters are your PCs and they are going to be the most important part of your story. And we want to see how do these PCs get to the point, the plot that you want them to get to and be open to like, if they have different routes to get to your destination, be open to that, embrace that. I think that sometimes as the one running the game, if a PC brings up a way that you weren't thinking, sometimes we get defensive and we're like, oh, no, 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 that's not what I was thinking. Instead of just embracing it and being like, taking a second, taking a breath and being like, what if they do this? Is it going to really ruin the end of what I'm trying to get to? Or is there another way that we can together work to making this part of the story to get to where I was planning to get to all along, but make it more interesting, giving them more agency along the way? Oh, I, absolutely. And I, and I think that's one of the, the I'm going to say actually one of the most difficult, but once it's achieved, one of the, the best tools in a, a DM's toolbox uh, or GM's toolbox is to be able to do exactly that. You know, how can I work, you know, a progressive story into the actions that my players have done? Because that's, again, in, in my opinion, where, where the magic happens. One of the pieces of advice I give out to people on that is, you know, if your players do something, you know, completely unexpected, you don't know how to continue you know I'm a big fan of the of the coffee break which is you know okay I had this room planned and they were going to find the switch and then he you know nat 20 on a strength roll and busted down the door okay I wasn't expecting <laughs> that I need to rethink this awesome you guys bust out the door you enter the next room hey guys let's do a five minute break real quick I'm going to grab coffee and then I've got time yeah. to preserve flow of the game and rethink recalculate what's happening in my mind I got to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Don't mind that I took every source. <laughs> don't don't question it. No, that's a good that's a good point though. I think that some people are afraid to have that little break because they think that it might mess up the flow of things. But really isn't it better just to be like, "You know what? I need a I need a couple minutes to think and then come up with something that you're proud of rather than keep on going and then at the end be kicking yourself because you're like, oh, "I'm just I'm so mad." Or to just force something upon them and just say, "No." The door will not budge. I don't I don't care what you rolled. It's not going to happen. Exactly. And, and you know, for anyone concerned about about taking that time, I'll, I'll give you a little little hint into the, the human psyche and especially how human memory works. It's such a funny little thing. Memory. Humans memorize events. They memorize big things happening. That's actually, if you've ever noticed, why it seems like it takes longer going out to a trip than coming back from a trip, because it's a road trip. It's all this new, wonderful excitement, and you're remembering all of these little things that are happening. The drive home is just a drive home. The same thing that happens at your table. If you have to take, uh, hey, guys, I wasn't really prepared for this. Let me just take a five-minute break and think about this. They are never, ever, ever going to remember that you all took a five-minute break. They are going to remember the big, wonderful event that you came up you know, the next time, or they're going to remember when you told them, no, you can't break through the door, even with a nat 20, they're going to remember events. So always, you know, if you get overwhelmed with something, if you get, you know, to the point where you just need time to think, 
take time to think. You're the GM. <laughs> you have that right. You yes. have the power. Yes. Yeah, I saw an article, and for the life of me, I was trying to look it up while you were saying that, but the basis of it was, like, that's how they approach video game building, like building a world is that the, you know, and you're so focused on the events that are happening, you don't realize that the actual logistical layout of the level that you're in doesn't make sense at all in the real world. But those events are what is strung together and that's what creates your experience. You don't remember that why would there be a hallway back behind here and this over here that's just no one would ever do that. But that the because of the human psyche working the way that you described as long as the events are laid out in a way that works, then the person has a good experience. You know, for me, I play role-playing games. A huge reason why I play it is for the memories. Being able to sit with my friends and talk about a campaign we played years ago and like be like, oh, remember that time? And nobody ever remembers the stats of a character Nobody remembers the kill count of a battle. What we remember are specific moments in the story. And nobody remembers that time that the DM said, hey, I need a two minute break either. They remember the moments. And if you need a two minute break, a five minute break to get that moment set, it's okay. Absolutely. And and I was just going to jump on a completely different point now, but Neil brought it up and I think it's a good reference, you know, when we're talking about linear plot, you know, because a lot of people can get a little concerned about eh, how far can I get into railroading and how far do I get into linear plot? And frankly, you, you shouldn't worry about that because, well, I guess you should worry about it some. You, you should always make sure <laughs> your players have agency. As long as they have agency, yeah. you are fine. That's the big core concept. When we think about every single other form of media that people consume it's all linear plot that's the dirty secret every book mm -hmm. you've ever read every movie you've ever watched every tv show you've ever watched 99.5 percent of every video games you've played there's a couple true sandbox games but most sandbox games yeah. are actually just well i like to call them amusement parks of yes you can go anywhere but once you get on a ride you're following the rails but uh you know yep. every bit of media you consume is linear plot People love linear plot. They don't walk down the streets and go, yay, I'm a linear plot fan. But the reality <laughs> is they are all the, the basis of story structure is, is scientifically you know, proven of this is what makes people enjoy a story. It's science. Execution of it is art. But I'm ruining my top 10 list now. The, the uh, you know, what you want to think about is not, oh, well, they didn't really get to create the whole world themselves. Some people enjoy it. Some people don't enjoy it. What you need to think about is do they have agency in the situation they do. And as long as they do, trust me, they will absolutely have fun with it. Yep. I was thinking about the games from Telltale Games and how they're about as railroady as could be. And people absolutely love them because the characters and story is so rich and you have just enough agency because you do get to walk around wherever you want, but you're definitely only going to end up one direction. <laughs> I mean, sure, there's some choices, but the end is always the same. Exactly. Uh, you know, you, you said every module that's ever written. Now, someone will find one to disprove yep. that statement to me, but I, I, when they find <laughs> it, it'll be great because I'll have that in my arsenal. But every RPG module that's ever been written is a linear plot. I mean, there's absolutely mm -hmm. nothing wrong with it. So we've kind of talked about uh, the difference between linear plot and railroading. We've talked about how plot is not a dirty word for role-playing games. It's actually really, really, I would say, beautiful. As DMs, as GMs, I think we are sitting in the place that we are at a table because we have stories to tell. We want to make plots. So how exactly do we do that? How do we design a plot for a tabletop game? Okay, now we're on a subject. How, how many hours do we have right now? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, because uh -oh. you, you want to talk about something that there is almost no other subject I could be longer-winded about, but let's uh, give the, the meat and potatoes of it. Ultimately, I actually have a process called the Eight Steps to Building a Plot, which is a seminar that I teach out uh, that's specifically designing plot for tabletop games and to give sort of a condensed version of the core concepts. And, and again, I, I will say this over and over again. This is my personal way of doing it. I'm not saying this is the right way. I'm not saying this is the best way. I'm just saying this is my way of doing it. I sound like a Roman Reigns promo for whoever watches wrestling. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, w what I do is I start with a base level of planning, which is my first thing is 
what type of story structure do I plan on running? And for tabletop RPGs, I essentially break it down into four types of story structure. And that is I can do a linear plot, which we've kind of talked a lot about and used it overall as, as a yep. general storytelling. I could do a dungeon, which is kind of its own thing within tabletop of it's going to be more combat. It's going to be a confined location. You know, you all listen to podcasts on RPGs. You know what a dungeon is. Um, oh, yeah. I can do a mini sandbox or I can do a full sandbox. A mini sandbox would be like, here is a city. Here are all the places you can go, all the things you can do, go wild. But you're kind of limited to this city. A full sandbox is, here is the universe, and there's a space shuttle over there. Go do whatever you want. <laughs> so the first thing I look at is which of those four, and there's going to be bleed over between them. I can be doing a, a mini sandbox in a city, and then at some point they go down into a dungeon, and for a couple campaigns, it's a dungeon. So there's going to be some bleed over between them. But I look at what kind of story, because there's going to be different story beats that are going to hit based on which one of those I'm running. The next thing that I do, and it is the next thing that I do, I decide how long this story is going to last. I know how long my story is going to last. And I'm, I'm going to give you a magic number here. And this is, this is Jim McClure's magic number. It's 15 to 20 hours. And I'll tell you where this magic number comes from. That magic number is when I looked at how everyone else consumes a story arc. Not necessarily a full campaign, but a story arc. I look at a season of television. I look at how long it takes to read a novel. Movies are a little bit different because they're very, very much more condensed. But when I, when I look at television and when I look at books and novel reading, I'm going, it takes people about 10 to 12 hours to get through an average novel or an average season of television. Things take a little bit longer to play out on a tabletop experience, so I go for a story arc of 15 to 20 hours. And that's my magic number, and I plan story arcs. Now, some go longer, some go shorter, but generally speaking, right from the get-go, I'll go, what am I going for? And that 15 to 20 is my magic little number. Shy of if I'm going to go crazy with something. So I know <laughs> what kind of story arc I'm going to build. I know how long it's going to last. The next thing I need to know is what is the core dramatic situation? And this is, this is a word I want you all to remember, or a phrase, I should say, dramatic situation. Uh, if you look up Georges Pulte, he wrote something called the 36 Dramatic Situations, which at the time, he says these are every single story that's ever been told is based on one of these 36 dramatic situations. Now, obviously, there's a big, long argument that you can have regarding the, the reality of there only being 36, but I would highly encourage you, especially if you're looking for inspiration, go look at what these 36 dramatic situations are. So let's just pick one of the most common ones that's used in tabletop, a quest. We, as a group, are going to go and get a thing and bring it back. That is a quest. That is our dramatic situation. So I know I'm going to run a mini sandbox. It is going to last 15 to 20 hours, and I'm going to run a quest. Well, what happens on a quest? Everyone knows this. You're going to go out. There's going to be obstacles in your way. There's probably going to be someone else trying to, to get the same thing that you are. Ultimately, we see exactly where the story is going to culminate. It's going to culminate at getting the object with some sort of big fight or big kerfuffle. And then we are going to, you know, hopefully get the item and then leave. And from there, I can start enacting what are all of my story beats. If I'm going to have someone that I have to fight for this thing, I need to establish him early on. I need to establish, you know, what kind of power he has. I need to establish what kind of resources he has. I need to establish how dangerous the area that we're in. And then I can start laying out, okay, these are the things that need to happen in some kind of order to make the story occur. So within a very, uh, that was, I, I shouldn't even say brief because I feel like I've been running on the mouth forever, um, but that is sort of the core concept of how I design story for tabletop, you know, from the very initial setting. And actually, I know I was very long-winded on that, but I'm gonna put one more last little thing on the end. After I've planned everything out, then what I do is I get the backstories from my players, and then I re-input all of that information into the story that I had. Yes, yes, so much yes. This cleric has a long-lost brother. Okay, well, the villain's right-hand man is now that long-lost brother. I just mm -hmm. re-input all of that information into the story so it feels entirely like their story, even though the dirty secret is it's mine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, make them part of it. I like, like, I like everything you said. I think for me, whenever I'm creating a plot for a tabletop gaming experience, because, I mean, the reason that I love DMing so much is because I, I love story so much. And when I sit down as the DM, I want to 
I want to tell a story and I want the players to be a part of it. And I want the players and their characters to all be invested in this story. And as you were talking about all those different things, I kept on thinking about (laughs) one of one of my favorite stories, which is Lord of the Rings. And like it just rang so true to everything that you were saying. And I thought of what if Tolkien was sitting down and Lord of the Rings was was not a book that he was writing down, but it was a an RPG that he ran like he would have a plot set up. I want to introduce this ring. What needs to happen through the NPCs, they're going to tell the player group this ring needs to be destroyed. Where does it need to be destroyed? There's only one place that it can get destroyed is in Mount Doom. But there's so much player choice in that story that the characters would make like who takes the ring there like i think if you were a gm in that situation you'd be like oh clearly it's got to be gandalf or aragorn or whatever but isn't that such a like true to role-playing experience that it's like the little halfling the hobbit goes i'll take it i'll take it to mordor i'll bring the ring and everybody because of that kind of is encouraged to get behind him and help him along the way and then you get the, well, how does it get there? Like, what path do we take? They had a plan. Their plans change. They go different ways. They deviate from the path, but there's still that destination that the author, but in this sense, like a game master, has in mind. And the roadblocks you talked about, the obstacles, there's so much player agency. And, like, you can put those in front of your players, but it's like, well, what do the PCs do? You don't want to, as a DM, decide, well, I want this character to take this magical object. I want this character to fix this problem by this. You can put the obstacles, the roadblocks, the the choices in their path. Let them make those decisions along that plot. I, I think that is an absolute a brilliant example for it because I was just sort of turning it over in my head of, you know, Lord of the Rings is is a great analogy for everything that we're talking about here. You know, exactly what you said. If you're a GM and you're thinking of, okay, I'm going to run the game that is Lord of the Rings, assuming no one in the world knows what Lord of the Rings is. So I'm going to have a story where they have to take this ring and drop it in this volcano. So the first thing I need to establish is why do they have to go to this volcano? Okay, so I need a scene that establishes it can't be destroyed any other way. So what do we have? We have the council scene. We have Gandalf going, nope, we can't do anything with it. That's our scene. Then where's our player agency? Okay, we're the council sitting around talking, how do we do this? Now the players have total Mm -hmm. agency in what's going to happen. And they set off. And then Gandalf goes with him, our DM NPC, which I said, everything can be done well. Even DM NPCs can be done well. Uh, But we we, (laughs) we have this ridiculously too high level DM NPC with the party. And he's going to take the stakes out of it. So what do we have to do with him? He's got to die. And we see how we plug in these scenes. The players have full agency. They're the ones that decided to go through the caverns. They're the ones that killed Gandalf, even though you kind of killed Gandalf, but they killed Gandalf as far as they know. (laughs) And that's what makes that agency come alive with a linear uh, linear plot. And that's so true to what you were saying, too, about it being sandbox. You can have plot in a sandbox campaign like they go, okay, we need to get this to here. But the path that you choose, like you can do a sandbox campaign and go, all right, well, you get to decide the path. Go whichever way you want. I'm open to the sandbox campaign, but you can still have that plot device there and work through that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I'm a real big proponent of sandbox, and this is sort of a tangent, but to really make a sandbox come alive, there has to be a long-term overarching goal so there is some direction that it's going, so that way you can kind of feed little tidbits in everything else that's going on, and it really makes it come alive. I think Lord of the Rings is a good example also of the doubling back to your magic number mm-hmm. and how long it would take to run through those different areas. Yeah. And if you're thinking of the first movie, the second movie, and it actually being built as a module, I think it would, they would work perfect in your 15 to 20. Also, I'm dead set that the only reason Mitch used it as an example is because they split the party like four times. <laughs> True. I do like to split the party. Ooh, you, you split the split. And look at the amazing story that comes out of it. <laughs> Oh, I'm the worst about that. Swear, <laughs> You've got my number. I, I do not intentionally split the party, but every party I have splits. It's because I give them too many options. I swear <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, if you're GMing and you give me any option, I will probably take that option. <laughs> my party Scooby-Doo's it every single time. Yep. <laughs> yes. Awesome. I do want to point out, too, like that giving players choices, I think 
maybe as a DM, sometimes we think like, yeah, but what if they pick that choice? That's the wrong choice. What if they like do the unspeakable? What do I do? And I think that my answer to that is like, well, giving players agency, giving them choice doesn't mean that their choices don't have consequences to their actions. Thinking about Lord of the Rings as a example, like if you're that GM, if you're Tolkien, the GM and Boromir's trying to take the ring because he's the player that's convinced that his character can handle it. He can handle the power of that ring, but you know that there is an incredibly high wisdom save involved with using that ring, and eventually he's going to fail, and eventually he's going to be tempted to the dark side, and, and it's not going to go well. As a DM, it's just like, okay, well, you can make that choice. You have been warned. We have set these up so you know that there are consequences, and let them play through that. And if it, if it does go bad, hey, as long as you've kind of set it up and you've kind of made it known, like that can lead to some great storytelling as well. I mean, Neil, you also know that I'm a huge proponent for tragedy and I love tragedy in a campaign. If it leads, if it leads to a tragic end, that could be a amazing story in that campaign. When you were talking about like Gandalf dying and stuff, I'm just like, yeah, because that's so good. You have to lose people in a story. The best stories have characters dying. I'm sorry. I love characters, but the best stories have characters dying. I am 100% with you, 100% with you. Let me uh, emphasize that point you just made because I thought it was a brilliant point of choices. One of the things as a a GM you really have to come to terms with is you must be okay anytime you present a choice to a player, you must be fine with them choosing any option that's presented. Mm -hmm. You have to be okay with that. And then if you want to go to a higher level concept, you really, after you've been GMing for a while, this isn't, isn't new advice, you really should start evaluating, you know, what situations you're having your characters walk into and what choices those situations present. Actually, I'll give a story because I hinted at an off-the-rail story earlier. Uh, so I'll give a, a, a tabletop story here that sort of emphasizes this. I had a, I have a my my favorite campaign that I ever ran. I had a three-year-long running L5R campaign that was just, oh, the, the tragedy and drama was, I'm going to use the term delicious. Oh, it was so good. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I like to joke, I, I I never killed a single player in that game, but two of my players committed seppuku. It was, oh, it was great. Um, (laughs) But what happened, we were probably, I don't know, nine months or so into it. They had gotten on the wrong side of a political deal, and they were sent out into the Shadowlands, where all the demons live, right? And the the mission was going to be simple. It's, we were going to have a little bit dark, a little bit of horror aspects to it. So they're going to the Shadowlands. They're supposed to check on this fort, because there's some odd magics going on. They're going to check on the fort. They're going to find out that Daigotsu himself, the big bad, is actually there. They're going to go back and warn everyone there's going to be a big fight on the the, the big giant wall against all the oni and it'll be great and it'll be huge and that's my linear plot that i'm working towards so They've got all the agency to go and check it out and how they want to do it. And they come face to face with Daigotsu, the big bad, and they mouth off to him. Uh, he actually sticks a finger of jade in the one guy's chest. Oh, it was great. Great scene. Sorry, I'm, I'm, re- I'm reliving myself now. And then Daigotsu <laughs> proclaimed that, you know, he should be rightful king because he's the only last, you know, remaining living person of the original dynasty and all this, this big speech and all that. And then my players did something special. They went, oh, he's right. Hey, Daigotsu, come with us. We'll vouch for you back into the empire. And I took all of my notes and I slid them off the table and I went, (laughs) I need a five minute coffee break because (laughs) I unbeknowingly gave them a choice. When they encountered Daigotsu, the choice was, are they going to fight him? Which I had kind of planned of, you know, he won't kill them, but, you know, we we can have a little, little engagement. They can run and warn, which is what I'm hoping to do. Or they could choose to side with him, a choice I had not thought about. And they chose to side with him because I unknowingly presented that choice and I had to say yes okay, you're going to take it back, and the entire campaign, another two-plus years of playing, was pivotal on that exact moment where they said yes. That's awesome. Wow. If you could have seen my face, obviously this is an audio podcast, (laughs) but my face was priceless as you gave the twist on that story. That's amazing. Yeah, and I'm sure that your players felt more accomplished in that moment, and they were really into their characters. And if you were to just go, no, you can't do that, their investment is out. And you still continued and you told a story and you told a plot. And I'm sure that it would not have been better had you had put your foot down and said, no, this is not happening. Exactly. Because it was their story. And if I say no, then it becomes my story. 
so to kind of wrap this up, we're going to talk more about it when we return next week for our top tens. You're going to give us some awesome top tens to do with building a plot successfully for a role playing game. But let's wrap this up and let's just talk a little bit about the benefits to having plot when you are running a game and having this overarching plot that you want to be working towards. What are the benefits to doing that. And now here I have to try and answer this and not sound all high and mighty. Hmm. Okay. Um, (laughs) the, the reality and the true honest answer from me is I think you can tell better stories with plotting than you can with improv. Now I already apologize. I already hear the emails being sent. That is a very controversial opinion. And again, I will emphasize as I do over and over again, this is just my opinion. Uh, but let me, somebody's about to get kicked off the one shot podcast. Uh, James DeMotto. Oh, no. <laughs> this is, How dare you? <laughs> I, I jokingly say I am an antagonist in a world full of protagonists, and I only half jokingly yes. say that. And, and being on the One Shot Network, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm in the land of improv, improvers, and I'm like, hmm, yes, but I am, I, I am me. But no, I'll tell you where I'm coming from with that. Improv is very good at delivering comedy. It is great at delivering that type of entertainment. It's really strong at it. It can deliver some of the heavier aspects of of drama. Plan story is really, to me, the easiest way to actually hit drama and hit some of the deeper emotions that you're going to find at the table. How many players have you seen crying from an improv game? Not many. I can plan a story, and if I execute it well, I can go, I'm going to have my players crying at this moment. And I've done Mm -hmm. it a couple times. That is, to me, the power of storytelling, and that is an experience that is really hard to encapsulate anywhere else other than the tabletop medium and other than being able to input both our concepts of storytelling together with our concepts of improv, you know, to make this wonderful experience that we call tabletop. So to me, the, the number one sort of thing out of the gate of why telling stories and why understanding stories and planning plot is important is because it allows you to access some of the deeper emotions. It allows you to make these wonderful, big, huge scenes. I'm of the belief that if you, you understand it and you study it and, and you can execute it, you can make memorable scenes happen. Within an improv world, memorable scenes might happen. I can work to a point where I can make them happen most of the time. And that's why it's so valuable, again, to me personally. Yeah, I fully agree. I think I've said it a couple times, but the reason that I, I lean towards DMing, like I love DMing, is because I have just so many stories that I've I just want to tell. And I'll, the sad thing to me is that I'll never have enough time in my life to role play, to get all those stories out and to share that experience with all of my friends. But I love making a plot. And when I first started DMing, I remember having a lot of pushback from some of my players to the idea of having an overarching story. But I've taken my players along this journey with me where they understand that I want, you know, you talked about your friend Hamish and like having that like, what did you call it? The tunnel of tunnel of fun, tunnel of fun. It's like my players, I I believe now know it's like when I'm going to have their players be placed into an overarching story, it's not because I'm looking to railroad them into making decisions that I want them to make but because I want their characters to be the main characters in the big parts of the history of my world. And they've really just taken that and they love it. And like we've, we've played a sandbox campaign before they like the linear storytelling way better. They enjoy it way more. They enjoy having these big plot points put in front of them. Cause they know that I'm going to be faithful to being like, no, your characters have choices. Let's see what these choices do and I'll be flexible with it. But I love telling stories. I think as DMS, which many of those, the people listening are DMS and GMS and many build worlds. Having plot is building the lore of your world. Forgotten realms, Eberron, Greyhawk, they all have plot. And we all as D and D players, we still play in those worlds. It's okay that there's plot there and we're still able to play in them. For all these reasons, I love plot. I love linear storytelling. What about you, Neil? What do you think? Yeah, like it's all been 
kind of hinted at before, but like the sandbox works for the right group. It definitely doesn't work for yeah. every group, but I think a strong plot can work for every group. Even those people that love this, the sandbox mentality and the ability to go do whatever they dream up. I think with the strong plot, if you're presenting your players essentially with several great options with sandbox yes there are an infinite number of great options but there's also potentially an infinite number of not so great options and that can be overwhelming but if you have a really good strong plot then you're able to give your players a better experience while still giving them the player agency that you don't get with railroading of course but <laughs> any final thoughts i guess just i i should throw out the point again I, I'm, I'm always scared with as as opinionated as i am especially when i start putting these opinions out in the world you know we are talking about a very definitive play style and and the, the point you know when when mitch asked me about coming on the the, the show you know and, and i said this is the topic you know that if i could ramble on something the longest this is what it would be it, it's not even necessarily it's my preferred play style i will never say that it is mm-hmm. the play style or the best play style or anything of that nature it's my preferred play style and there's nothing to say there's absolutely nothing wrong with the improv way i i wrote a game called the terrible rpg that is designed solely for improv style play where you literally could not play the type of games i'm talking about with that game there is so much fun and awesomeness that can be had with that style as well but the core concept you know that that i wanted to get across is just because the improv world is fun and just because you've had experiences where you've not had fun with a structured story does not mean plot is a dirty word yeah, I resonate so much with everything you said from being an opinionated person to all the stuff you say afterwards. Please be opinionated. We need more opinionated. If you could just like draw in some of the I know I have so much hate from some of the DC fans out there for my love of Marvel and my uh, ranting on DC. But yeah, like I, I agree with you so much personally. I find improv is that place that I fall upon with. And it's funny because you're from the one shot podcast network. But when it comes to one shots, uh, one shots for me are a great place that I want to go in and have a little bit more improv than anything else. But when it comes to I want to sit down with a group and play D&D for weeks, I think it comes down to I want to tell that epic story. It's it's an epic that you're telling with them. And that for me, I need to have some sort of plot that I'm DMing with. And I appreciate it as a player when the DM is has an overarching story that he wants to tell. I do, and I, I enjoy it a lot more. But that's all we're going to talk about right now about plot. We are going to come back next week, and Jim is going to give us his top 10 ideas for making plot in a role-playing game. And then me and Neil have some top 10s for you as well. But before we close it out, Jim, can you just, uh, for the listeners listening right now, if there are listeners who want to ask you anything about plot, they want to interact with you, they want to go and listen to your podcast, where can they do that at? Well, to start with, they have to complete my rider, which requires them mailing me one bag of green (laughs) M&M's. There you go. That's it. <laughs> now, um, the, the best place to interact with me is I'm I'm very engaged on Twitter. I am at GM Jim McClure on Twitter. Uh, that's M-C-C-L-U-R-E, GM Jim McClure. Yeah, I should know my own name. Yeah, and uh, then, of course, I, I have a weekly podcast called Talking Tabletop where I sit down and be very, very quiet while other people talk. So it was nice to, nice to go <laughs> the other direction with it. And then if you would ever like to hear me perhaps do some of these wonderful GMing techniques that I talked about, I would highly encourage you to go listen to the One Shot podcast. I did a series of them called the L5R series where we played L5R, and it is a very deep, very dramatic game, and you can see some of these things that I talked about kind of go out at the table as I, as I, I get a GM my favorite system. Fantastic. Right. So that's all we have for you this week on the Dungeon Masters block. If you want to get a hold of us and want to use more than 140 characters, you can email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. And if you like what you heard on this episode and other ones and you haven't already, you should go to iTunes and give us a five-star review and we'll read that review on air. We're also on other means of getting podcasts like Stitcher and the newest one that we're on is the Google Play Music. You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMs block. And you can like our Facebook page. Both of those places will have updates about the show and all around D&D goodness. 
We have a Patreon member shout out of the week, and this week's Patreon member shout out goes to Blake Ryan. Yeah. Blake Ryan is a silver dragon. So he is, we know he is on the forums. As soon as I said Blake Ryan, Neil who's always on the forum, said, oh, I know. Silver Dragon. Silver Dragon. (laughs) So, Blake, glad to have you supporting us. Thank you so much for your support. Thanks for giving us your feedback on the forums. You're awesome. And that's all we have for you today on the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we focus on the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of all the people at the table. Keep on Dungeon Mastering. Bye.